Hello and welcome to another of the Professional Practice Podcast hosted by me, Austin Williams, Senior Lecturer at Kingston School of Art in London. And in this series about professional practice, we meet and chat with a wide variety of experts exploring their professional skills associated with architecture and the construction industry more broadly. So today we're taking lunch. You hear the glasses there with Laura Ilunyemi of Laura Ilunyemi Press and PR, who has been a leading figure in the architectural firmament for a very long time. And we're here to look at, amongst other things, how to promote the architect and architecture and how marketing, in the widest sense of the word, can affect the profession. So, hello, Laura. Thank you very much hello, for Austin. coming along. So, first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're from Finland originally, but tell us about how you got here a few points along the way. How I got here? Well, yes, I'm from Helsinki and I grew up uh, here and there and I had a plan to leave Finland and I decided to study at Edinburgh history of art and I ended up in the architectural department slightly by chance but um, also by an interest in the work of Alvaro Aalto, the Finnish architect. And in fact, I was most interested, curiously, in how he promoted himself in the uh, 1930s. Aalto was a prolific writer and journalist and in fact he made his reputation in um, internationally in London through uh, avenues like the Architecture Review magazine and Morton Shand and he had an exhibition here in London of all places at Fortnum Mason's department store where he showed his furniture which was very influential in getting his work seen outside of Finland at the time. So both the AR, the Architecture Review magazine and, and the Avenue of Exhibitions and exporting his furniture became a calling card for him. And all this interested me greatly as an undergraduate at Edinburgh, and I did my thesis on that. And then from Edinburgh to Cambridge University? Yes, via Paris. So I, I studied museology or curatorial studies at the Louvre, uh, Louvre Museum School in Paris, uh, which was great. And um, after that, I, I nonetheless decided to return to uh, Britain, partly because I was interested in this um, very free way of thinking. The French system was quite Cartesian in terms of its education. And I still like the very inquisitive nature of um, UK universities. So I, I um, took part in the Master of Philosophy program at Cambridge, Architecture Philosophy, which then linked me since then to the world of architects and looking at how architects think about their work. And with my interest in Alto's promotional efforts, also then joining that up with the world of PR. No, there was no ambition to go into PR per se. Things happened, as they say. So I liked the environment in the offices and seeing how things were done. So I enjoyed that dynamic and I became interested in how these offices or these practices were able to reach new audiences in terms of press but also in terms of clients. What is the difference between branding, marketing, PR, communication, all these kind of words which are regularly banded around and, and we, we imagine that they mean the same thing but there's also a distinction. Um, well, in doing PR and, and, and having um, quite an academic background, I'm obviously interested in what these words mean, and I've tried to define them myself over the years. And my attempt at the moment is this. Um, I see branding as something quite commercial. So branding is something that practices, architectural practices, and other companies do when they feel they need to add commercial value to the product they have, be that a consumer good or, or a building. And, um, Often the branding um, is something that is bought by an external branding consultant who may or may not understand 
the culture of the practice. Uh, often, um, particularly when you're looking at things like um, consumer goods or maybe hotels or restaurants, the branding may go hand in hand with upping the value of the product in terms of its image, but potentially also compromising that value in terms of the quality of the good. And I think there's a lot of that in branding. It's an exercise we do to make people buy into a brand or what we used to call a mark because they value the aspirational qualities that come with having the association with that name or logo or using that product. Whereas I think communication and identity are quite different from that. They're not so much about buying into something to raise your self-worth or status, but they're much more dialogue. So communication, to my mind, is about, in some ways, convincing people that what you're saying has a validity. Maybe they buy into it, maybe they don't, but it is, it is much more about trying to find common ground with people, to, to tell them what you truly believe and try and get people to work with you. Maybe they work in conversation, maybe, maybe the thing that you're trying to communicate is something that then becomes changed as a result of the communication. But so, so what, PR is truth-seeking and branded oh yes. marketing is fake news? <laughs> that sounds very worthy, but yes, I think communication can or should be truth-seeking in terms of having a high integrity, whereas I think, and it's often something that architects are very good at doing themselves without perhaps knowing it because they know what their story is and they just need some tools to be able to get that out. But they don't need overarching um, new identity that branding companies often bring. A sort of gloss that may be fashionable, that may tie in with the kinds of jargon and words and, and other marketing gimmicks that are being used at the moment. Well, you say that you, you want quotes to make PR a sympathetic extension of architects' identity. Yes. So, so carry on what you're saying, really. So I think communication and identity are very closely linked. Um, so as I was saying, I think communication is about having an integrity about saying something that is actually a meaningful extension of what you do. And I think identity, in this sense, which often is compared to branding, is very much about that too. It's about a sort of creative compulsion to create a world that extends your values and your ethos. Now, branding agents often talk about values and ethos as well, but I think they're much more looking at a sort of tribal sense of getting people to buy into something, whereas a genuinely individualistic, original thinker, which I hope a lot of architects are when they try to make a contribution in the work with the work they do in the field of design, I think they are expressing something that they would express no matter what the circumstances are. So they may or may not be a market for this identity. And that's the risk they take. And of course, architects who want to be successful hope that they resonate with the public out there and with their clients and critics as well. But it's not a, a matter of actually forging what you do to suit a certain climate, to become a certain kind of trend or to suit um, a certain way of doing things that might be the sort of flavor of the month or the um, the, the way that others are doing it. You do what you do because you have to do it. It's, it's a sort of inner um, life that you're giving extension to. And I think some architects, this might sound slightly esoteric, but there are some architects who've done this extremely successfully. Obvious examples are people like Zaha Hadid. She stuck to her guns even when it was difficult and created her own world. And just by believing in this world, by even believing it when she could only do so in the form of painting rather than having all the commissions that she came to have later in life, she was able through a sort of will to 
make what she saw as her world come to life. And I think there are other good examples of that type of approach. David Chipperfield is a great example. They've been extremely consistent and extremely true to the way they see things. And they haven't used branding agencies and, and, and external consultants to any great degree to do that. So I'm sure they might work with a graphic designer or a copywriter, but they are the ones who are in charge of but, what but they want it, to say. Is this applicable only to the kind of high-end architects? Would you say jobbing architect, Mr. Bloggs, will also have this kind of highfalutin, mission-driven ethos that you could maybe bring out of them in, in a... Oh no, not everybody's a Zaha Hadid or David Chipperfield That's and you couldn't, you couldn't imagine that everybody would be that or even have that potential in them. As in any field, there are architects who, are, who stand out, who have something genuine to contribute to a conversation. Not everybody has the potential so to I mean do that. Yes, so does this PR relationship only have purchase with the high-end people who get it and the jobbing architect you don't show any interest in, or maybe the PR is of no consequence to it? Um, I show interest in architects who have something to say, to add to a discourse. Now, it doesn't have to be the same sort of, um, what one might define as a kind of high art or museum grade level of contribution that the architects I just mentioned have. It might be something different, but the important thing is to have something to add. And if you don't have anything to add, it doesn't mean that you can't be a successful practice in terms of having you know, a good office with staff that are happy to work for you, making a good living, winning awards even. But to be able to transcend a sort of PR threshold in terms of getting critical uh, reception for your work, you do have to have something exceptional to say. Not to say that everybody who's had media coverage is in some ways a genius. So in terms of bringing something to the practice, is this a business strategy, should they expect profitable returns via a PR strategy? Should it be a simple instrumental relationship? Um, or in the, in the opposite way of looking at it, how much money should a practice allocate to this for it to be worthwhile doing? I think architects and all my clients should expect to get more work as a result of investing in PR. But I also think that they should get more than just uh, more fees. They should get better work. They should have better relationships. They should be able to expose themselves to more like-minded people in the sense that people that actually support the things that they want to do. So the PR is not just about winning work, uh, which is a um, very common thing that people say to try to just undermine in ways the PR efforts, just saying, oh, well, we wouldn't be doing this unless we wanted more work. Um, it is about creating a culture around a practice and I think that's hugely important for creative people like architects to have that sort of creative recognition for their work and to be able to expand on their discourse with people that are willing to listen. Being um, featured in magazines and um, events and what have you should be seen strategically as a Way as, a way as a way of exposing yourself to people that might lead you to opportunities and often these opportunities are very indirect so just because you're featured in a maybe a national newspaper what have you it doesn't necessarily mean that that directly will get you a commission often these things work in tandem with other things other types of effort as well so if you've got lots of projects that should get a bit of limelight you're going to need to invest more if you've only got one thing that's relatively straightforward you're going to invest less also they're very imaginative ways in which we can do things cheaply but effectively. So it's, it's, it's incredibly hard to 
say this is the percentage or the ratio of your practice turnover that you need to put towards this exercise. But I would say on an average that you are probably looking at about a sort of experienced admin person's salary, the equivalent of that in terms of your whole marketing budget. That, that seems to me quite a realistic thing when you're looking at the many things that architects have to do to win work. And do you think a newly formed practice with the ambitions that you're describing, that they should budget for that fairly early on in their careers? Or, you know, should Again, you have a portfolio that you can sell before you do that, or should you? Well, I certainly turn down practices who don't have enough to show when they're young and they come and they want PR, but I, I don't feel that what they have to work with is enough to merit the fees. Then I think you have to wait and take a realistic view on what is actually going to get you something that's going to, to um, justify the investment. Okay, and given that we are in a recession, how would you argue to defend your position in a, in a company that was advocating getting rid of the PR? I'm not going to advocate for my own position in terms of trying to um, say that architects must have external consultants when times are tight, but I, I would say that when money is tight, that architects should still devote energy and time into at least uh, networking and doing the minimum, which is recording their work properly, so that there's some chance of it being uh, covered. I think the architects' practices that completely neglect their PR in terms of recording work and in terms of trying to get coverage during meager times uh, do pay the price when seeking out visibility later on and okay, so, uh, so they are compromised. Yeah, so you mentioned that dread word networking. Who should, I mean I know there's no one answer to this, but who should you network with? How should you network? What are the good and bad ways of doing this? Often architects say, why should we preach the converted? I've heard this a lot of times in terms of the publications and also in terms of network. Why should we go to events where all you have is other architects? I think that's changed, that events that have other architects also have a lot of people who are working in architecture in uh, consulting positions in terms of putting together client lists, in terms of advising clients, increasingly developers, uh, people interested in commissioning architecture are attending these events. So there are potential client types at these events. They're, they are not just your straightforward architect colleagues. Similarly, architectural publications are read by these people, so they're not just preaching to the converted. But beyond that, I think architects have many different strategies in terms of reaching people, depending on their own interests. So. Let me, let me put it another way. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't have to name any names, but what do architects always do wrong in terms of PR? What do they think they are doing right, but actually... Well, one thing that they do them. wrong is they sometimes go to network events, potentially things that are aimed at property developers and architects, or things like MIPIM or events like that, and they think they're going to walk out with a job because they invested one return airfare and a pass to get into the event. I've done my bit, and where's the job? Well, that's something that architects do do wrong because Relationships take time, so it's not a one-hit wonder, and that's the same for networking events to relationships with media, to relationships with most people that you know. So the, these things do take time, and I think that impatience is something that I've seen in architects that's, that's unfortunate. So joining a golf club is still a good plan? Depends on the kind of work you want to do. <laughs> Everyone that I've come across is paranoid about the bribery act over the last uh, couple of years. And there's a fine line, they tell me, between networking and, in inverted commas, undue influence. How do you see this playing out? I, I haven't had any experience of bribery 
per se, so I don't, I don't know much about that. But I wasn't suggesting <laughs> anything other, by the way. Um, but I, yes, undue influence. I, I'm interested in the way people look at their actions in terms of what may be pushy for one person, for someone else might be quite tame. So the main thing is to realize that if you are perhaps um, more reserved in your way of communicating, then you might need to compensate in other ways. Maybe you're very good at drawing or, or, or doing beautiful models or something like that. that okay, can look, convey I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that in, in, a, in a little moment because I want to redress a, quite a, a point you made a, a while ago about getting in your projects into architecture magazines. And in some ways, again, many of the youth out there talk to me about how social media is the new way forward. Uh, and there's a truth to that, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, publishing is in, a little bit in crisis. So what do you think about, you know, these... Is it about doing the old thing that we all remember of my age, going about taking photographs, getting them into magazines, promoting yourself that way, or are there new avenues that maybe younger architects should be alert to? Well, there's certainly new avenues, and Instagram's proved to be uh, a genuinely influential avenue whereby people are actually reaching edit editors and they're reaching curators, they're reaching potential clients through Instagram, which I found fascinating. Uh, saying that, there's also a bit of a backlash towards social media because of all the negative coverage that companies like Facebook have had. So um, the younger generation are, are, are not as readily jumping into that as they might have been at a time. But there is something very special about having your project reviewed by an editorially credible source, so an architectural magazine, whether it's online or in print. And, and I think there's very little that can actually challenge that sort of third-party accreditation for the, for the work. And as a result, young architects or older architects get a great pleasure out of getting something published in the likes of Domus, Architecture Review, what have you. Okay, so where critical journalism still exists, it's good to target some of those magazines and some journalists. Ab absolutely. Yeah, so look, I mean, in terms of the flip side of that, I suppose, or extending that uh, analogy, there was a moment at the height of the recession back in 2009, 2010, where there weren't that many things being built. Therefore, architecture magazines were paying the price of showing nonsensical images in the, in the magazines. And what tended to happen then, as I'd recognized, was that the geek in the back room in the architect's office suddenly became the go-to person for data, information, value-added, and was kind of they were being promoted on social media. If you want to know about fire regulations, mm -hmm. go to Fred. So it was more that suddenly it becomes this internal expertise which became realized through small practices that was never thought about before. It was always about the glossy image and the final rendering. So suddenly the kind of content of a project suddenly had merit and was being used as a marketing tool. The value of the construction knowledge, the value of the detailing ability, all that kind of stuff. Again, am I making this up? Is that, was that of a moment or is that continuing now? Well, I think there has been a fashion or the sort of rise of the geek um, overall. Uh, maybe if that's come from Silicon Valley, I don't know. But I found that phenomenon hugely refreshing because uh, all of a sudden we were faced with very fact-based copy that came with real expertise and uh, not so much of the kind of bully stuff that you may get with promotional efforts elsewhere. And it was probably also part of our architects trying to regain ground, perhaps not so much to do with the fact that they weren't these glossy images to produce, but also to try and convince clients 
uh, fellow consultants that they actually knew stuff. Architects have been trying to regrain ground for a while now, and that's something that really concerns me about the whole communication game. So when I talk about integrity and, uh, and the need to communicate rather than brand, I'm serious. I think architects need to think hard about what their core messages are. And if they're going to continue to do this work rather than have other types of consultants take over their ground, they need to say what they're doing. And they need to say it in their own words, not in the words of competitive consultants that they're trying to emulate in terms of trying to justify their own position. That's great. I like all that. I like all that. My last question sounds completely anodyne tedious by comparison. I was just going to ask you about competitions, so whether you think they're worth doing, whether it's, you know, I mean, I appreciate that the chances of winning are slim and possibly slimmer than they used to be, but is that part of a PR strategy, just getting yourself out there? Competitions, yeah. are they part of a PR strategy? I don't advise clients to go for competitions as a part of a PR strategy, but when they have done and when they've done something good, I'm rather pleased because even if they don't end up on a short list, they can provide very good visuals and ways to express ideas, perhaps on a scale of project that's not current in the practice in a small studio, but it can be a good way to show, show the sort of design ambition um, at a larger scale. But also, if you have been shortlisted, it's a fabulous way of starting a journey to being recognized. So when those shortlists are published, just because you've come second or third or fourth or what have you, doesn't mean that you've lost. It actually means that you're on your way to being seriously considered for that first place. So I think in that way, they're hugely valuable, although extremely time consuming and sometimes expensive way to invest in getting work. But at the, at the moment I'm working with a young practice who's made their whole career, John Patrick Associates, out of winning a competition on Preston Bus Station. And he's sort of beaten the system um, through that project. So that's very heartening to see. And I know there's a practice in Helsinki called Alla Architects who are currently working on the Helsinki um, Library, the Audi Library. And they formed their practice through a design competition for a project in Norway and they just left their jobs and, and went for it and, and now they're one of the successful practices in, in um, Finland. So there are that many but there are examples of practices who have been able to yeah. utilize that. Yeah. Okay, final question. In terms of, I know you teach at the AA, if you're well, sitting That there, sounds very grand. I, I do a few lectures every so often for part threes. If you imagine that you're talking, as you often do, to students, part three students, how would you advise young practices in terms of taking on a PR strategy and furthering their new, new careers. So the few times I've taught or spoken to students rather at the AA, uh, Part 3 students, which, which summarise in my head as important things to relay to the students in this current climate, have to do with this belief in architecture. So that sounds kind of obvious, but it isn't so obvious. I, I recently read a piece in Volume magazine by Rainier de Graaf in which he described his own journey uh, coming out of architecture school and then being faced with the kind of vulgarity of the, of the real world and, and, and describing the fact that, well, you don't get to be Le Corbusier in terms of the way buildings are built today. And I empathize with that. I, I have plenty of experience of architects voicing the very same things. So you may not get to be Corbusier in the way that things are commissioned and built, but you can be more like him in terms of how you communicate. Now, there's someone who's been fabulous at using his creative instincts, not branding agencies, but his very own intellect and artistic abilities to create a world, not unlike the world that people like Zaha Hadid I mentioned earlier created, 
to extend his argument and to, to, win, to win over people. And I, I, I have huge admiration and respect for people who are able to continue to do that. Not so much looking at marketing ploys and instead embracing all the different ways that we can communicate, including social media, but imaginatively and in a way that's true to your inner voice, to, to the way that you want things to be. And that goes you know, right down to how you talk about your work, the words you use, the way you present it in drawings, the way your office is, the, the look of your uh, studio. All those things um, can come into play in terms of creating your image and your identity. Perfect. You ended on a high intonation, as I say. Perfect. So, we run out of time. So, as the John Coltrane or Stan Getz uh, saxophone fades away into the distance, that's all we have time for. Thank you very much indeed, Laura. Really interesting, very helpful, I think, not only for practitioners, but as we said before, uh, an insight for new architects setting up in business. My name is Austin Williams. That was Laura Illiniemi. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time when you tune into the Professional Practice Podcasts.